going to be digging into uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Now, if you have been with us uh, through any other part of the study, uh, you realize where we're at contextually. Paul is writing from Rome back to a church that he had planted in a city called Philippi. And as he is in Rome, he is imprisoned. Uh, some believe that he was under a type of house arrest, maybe. Uh, but nonetheless, it was uh, prison-like conditions. And Paul receives this letter from the Philippians, and he decides that he's going to write back. And as he writes here, picking up in verse 12, this is what he says to the church. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has been clear throughout this whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, uh, you know what's happened. You know I've been arrested for the proclamation of the gospel, but this arrest has actually furthered the gospel when the enemies of the gospel tried to prevent that. And so Paul recognizes that God continues to be at work. He continues on, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and declare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now tonight, what I want to do is talk to you for a few moments, and I want to focus on the idea that suffering in some ways is a furthering of the gospel, just as Paul says here. Uh, the word that Paul uses when he talks about um, advancing the gospel, it's a Greek word that, that carries the idea of an advancement of uh, troops that are going into battle. And they would send people before them that would go in and kind of root out any, any branches or, or roots or uh, any obstacles like boulders or anything that could get in the way of the troops advancing on level ground. And so what Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, um, this whole situation has made a way for me to go through on, on land really clearly. There's, in other words, there's no hindrance to me advancing the gospel in this way. And it's the idea that Paul's arrest, although it wasn't intended to be this, but Paul's arrest removed barriers and his arrest opened doors that his freedom could never open. So Paul had opportunities that he never would have had without going through the suffering. Now, Paul talks about this uh, Peturian guard. Um, this is a, a group of elite soldiers uh, founded by Augustus uh, years beforehand, upwards of nine, 10,000 soldiers um, that would be in this group that Paul was talking about. And once again, it's not that Paul met with 10,000 individual guards, but the idea is that Paul, as he shared the gospel with a number of guards, that his reputation grew and it spread throughout the whole palace guard. And so it's a fascinating idea that all of a sudden, uh, Paul is going and, and, and he's, he's preaching to just normal people, peasant people, middle-class people, and then all of a sudden, through persecution, through suffering, Paul finds himself with the most elite group of soldiers on earth, and he's able to share the gospel with them. It's really a powerful thing. Now, Paul's perspective on this suffering, this type of suffering and his persecution, um, it, it was pretty unique in this, that, that Paul was not 
so focused on what the pain and the suffering he was going through as much as he was focused on the purpose of why he was going through it. So Paul understood in the sovereignty of God that although we go through pain at times, there is usually a purpose that's intertwined there, it's tethered together, but we just have to change our perspective so that we can recognize it even in times when the pain is really, really difficult to bear up under. And so tonight, what I want to do is I just want to share with you um, just four different ways that suffering advances the gospel. Now, when I say advances the gospel, um, that, that may seem like a pretty direct, this is only about furthering the, the message of salvation. Uh, while that's true, there are some things I want to say that, that help us as a church as we further the kingdom of God. And there are some things we can only attain in the kingdom of God as we go through suffering. And so uh, if you follow with me in your notes, number one, the notes read this, through suffering, we intensify and identify with Jesus. Paul is going to write this later, a couple chapters in the same book of Philippians in chapter three. He says this, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Paul, even in this moment, it seems very confusing what he's trying to say, but Paul is saying this, listen, when I suffer for the cause of Christ, I am identifying with Christ. I'm, I'm like sharing in the sufferings that he has suffered. In a way, I am becoming more like Christ as I suffer through things, uh, as a, you know, it's kind of like part of our sanctification process. And so Paul, again, it's a very mature perspective of what it means to suffer and what it means to identify with Jesus. Um, but it's not only the identifying with Christ, there's an intensity. If you've ever been through a season of, of legitimate suffering, whether it be um, you know, illness or you know, loss or persecution, the same holds true that, that these things cause us to identify with Christ, but they also intensify our relationship with Christ if we will allow them to. So, the idea is that any time that, that, you know, you are suffering on behalf of another person, um, if you go through a situation and you kind of take a bullet for that person, there is a gratitude and a bond that, that forges your relationship together because they know that you were willing to lay your life down for them. You were willing to, to take the brunt, uh, you know, of, of the verbal assault or whatever the case may be. But there is a bonding that happens. And the same is true for our relationship with Christ. Suffering has a way of, of driving us to our knees and into God's presence. And as we suffer, um, there, is a, there is a bonding, there is an intensity if we will allow it in our relationship with Christ. Uh, number two in your notes, through suffering, we are tested and strengthened. Uh, the Apostle Peter, he said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's saying, listen, why are you acting surprised when, when you go through suffering? You know that, that sometimes these things come along 
to test you, to test your faith, to test your resolve. And it's not always that God sends suffering into our lives, um, but we do know that in the sovereignty of God that he allows suffering into our lives. And oftentimes when God allows suffering into our lives, it's to test us, it's to test where we are in the faith. Now, obviously, the testing of our faith is more for us. It's not really for the Lord. He knows, you know, how we're going to handle these tests. Um, But it's really to remind us that, yes, I can do this, that I do. My faith is strong in the Lord. Um, These tests are often for us, but God will often use suffering to test us and to strengthen us in the process. Number three in your notes, through suffering, we help others. Uh, So Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says this, all praise to God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. Isn't that amazing? He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. So the idea is that as I go through difficulty, that the Father in heaven comforts me. And as I receive his comfort and I see another person going through a similar difficulty, that I now take that comfort and I place it upon them. I can minister to them in a way that I could not have ministered to them beforehand. And so uh, this idea of helping one another, of bearing one another's burdens, of strengthening each other, uh, this is all at play all throughout Scripture as, you know, we, we first deal with Israel and then on throughout history until we find ourselves in the body of Christ. We are here for one another to help strengthen one another as we go through these things. Finally, in your notes, where I, where I want to spend most of our time uh, this evening <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the, uh, the concept that through our suffering, we find new opportunities to share the gospel. And this is, this is more contextually where Paul's at. He's saying, listen, through all this stuff, he's not really talking about the strengthening of the church and he's not talking about himself being tested. He's saying, listen, because of my suffering, the gospel of Christ has gone forth. That's really where he's camping out. And Paul is, you know, very sober in his understanding that these people would have been unreached unless I had gone through this suffering. And so again, just Paul's perspective is so elevated. It's so mature, something that we should really attain to. Um, and, it, and, and again, it's because Paul has this understanding that, uh, you know, if you track it along, that, that Paul, he was, you know, walking in purity, preaching the pure gospel of Christ, and Paul's purity led to pain. But in that pain, Paul saw purpose. And if we are wise, what we will do when we find ourselves in painful situations like Paul is that we will look for the purposes of God in those moments. Now, when it comes to the idea of suffering for for number four, we're really going to focus a lot on persecution, okay, which is not uh, extremely prevalent in our current culture. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But I want you to understand that uh, this is what Paul would write to Timothy. Now, this is way later in Paul's life when, you know, he's uh, about to face death. This is what he says to his young protege. He He says, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
He's saying, listen, if, if you live in such a way that's truly honoring to the Lord Jesus, there are going to be moments where you are persecuted because of how you live. Now, that may come from the outside world. That may come from family. That may come from friends. That may come sometimes even from the church. I've seen instances where, uh, you know, a person is striving to live in holiness and, and they're really in pursuit of God with, with pure intentions, pure heart. But people within the church will, will begin to, to downplay them and, and to make accusations against them for, uh, you know, whatever reason, um, when really the whole idea is that this person over here is just kind of jealous of this person's pursuit of God. And uh, now that's not always the case, but, but I've seen those types of things play out. And so persecution can come from, for us in a number of different ways. And all of us who live a godly life in Christ, we will live at a standard where, where we will face those types of persecutions. It's very unfortunate, but it's a gospel truth. So we know that through history, biblical history and, and otherwise, um, that there have been so many people that have gone down this road of persecution long before we have, right? Um, you have Jeremiah, you have Daniel in the lion's den, you have the, the Hebrew boys who go into the furnace, um, you have Jesus who, who suffers uh, immensely in, in a lot of different ways, but ultimately he suffers persecution ultimately on the cross. The disciples outside of Judas were, were all martyrs for their faith. Uh, we find in the book of Acts, Stephen, uh, as he proclaims the good news of Christ through the Old Testament, uh, that he is stoned to death for his faith. Um, there are men throughout Christian history, uh, church leaders, who literally were, their bodies were pulled apart um, through you know, the tying of you know, their hands and feet to four different horses and the horses would just rip their bodies into. We find in the book of Hebrews that, that some of the prophets were, were sown in half. Clement was uh, an early church father. He was, you know, an anchor uh, was tied around his feet and he was, he was thrown into the sea uh, at the hands of Trajan. Um, just so many people have suffered real persecution in really difficult um, uh, and, and awful ways. Um, but then you have other types of persecution that are not necessarily uh, the taking of one's life, but sometimes, you know, people faced persecution, you know, throughout church history with the taking of rights. And so if you um, did not renounce Christ and worship an emperor, perhaps, you know, some of your rights were taken away from you, that you couldn't eat in a certain location or you couldn't, you know, do business with other individuals. Um, there were other times where uh, if you professed the name of Christ, that, that you know, maybe your family members would be taken from you or, or pieces of your property would be taken from you. And so um, there are a lot of different forms of, of persecution um, that are possible. You had the physical, you had the mental, emotional, psychological, uh, spiritual. There are all these forms of persecution. Um, and the reality is, is that although, you know, in our world today, um, physical persecution as I said earlier, isn't really prevalent, okay? It's definitely not prevalent in the West, in Western culture. Um, but there, there is still physical persecution that, that's happening to, to our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, I was reading an article about two women who lived in Iran and they, they had a chance encounter and they bonded over their faith in Christ after they had come out of Islam. And um, 
they were they were trying to find ways to to win the Islamic people to to Christ, and so they they found that in Islamic culture, if you go to an airport or a library or whatever the case may be, there are certain documents that are that are written um, uh, about the Bible and and use scriptural references, etc., that basically pervert the gospel of Christ and and kind of uh, they remove the deity of Jesus and make him just just simply a prophet, like a good man, a good teacher, and they remove him to a certain level and elevate Muhammad. And so these women seeing this, they're saying even the exposure to scripture that our countrymen have um, is, is perverted. And so we need to get them actual New Testament scripture so that they can read these things. And so these two women, they put backpacks on, they had luggage, they traveled all around. They distributed um, 20,000 New Testament um, Bibles to people all throughout Iran. They did this for a couple of years. Finally, in uh, 2009, they were both arrested uh, for sedition. And uh, through the series of events, they ended up in what is considered the the most brutal prison um, in Iran. And they lived there for nine months. For nine months, they lived there. And listen to what one of the women wrote in a book about their experiences. She said, most amazing of all, we were in the best place we'd ever been for witnessing to people hungry for the gospel of Jesus. She's saying this was the most spiritually hungry environment that we had touched. She had been free around millions of people in an Islamic culture, yet where she found people who were hungry for Christ was in a dark, dirty dungeon prison. She says, now we were stuck in jail and God was bringing spiritual seekers in waves. And we could tell our fellow prisoners the story of Jesus openly because no one would come into this rat hole and spy on us. We were more free inside the prison to give the message of salvation than we were outside of the prison. They actually ended up calling that prison for those nine months. They called it our church. That's how bonded these women were. Again, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, they found the purposes of God and found a way to advance the gospel of Christ. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, in Western culture, uh, physical persecution, arrest, and different things like that are, are pretty rare. But if, if we have any sensibilities about us, um, we can tell that, that the gun is pointed in that direction. Um, we do believe that persecution is coming for, for the Christian church at some point in the Western culture. Um, we're already seeing uh, foretastes of it through the, the marginalizing of, of Christians um, in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, the threat of the church, uh, the tax-exempt status of the church being removed, which would, would bury 80% of a churches in Western culture uh, financially. Um, even, even here in, in uh, you know, the city of Columbia, there, there are regulations written in law that, uh, that state that you know, should a church uh, publicly um, condemn certain activities found throughout scripture, that there can be certain types of you know, legal action taken against them. Uh, so we're, we're beginning to see those type things through censorship on social media, on YouTube, different venues like that. Um, we're starting to see these things. So the, the, the question of 
you know, is not, is persecution coming? That's not the question. The question is, how will we handle persecution when it comes? Uh, persecution, um, unfortunately, and, you know, I don't enjoy saying this, especially as, as a minister of the gospel, um, but I, I think we would be naive to say that persecution is, is, is not coming, it's not close. Um, but it, it pains me to think that my children and my children's children and so forth will probably live under those conditions. Uh, just a few years ago, uh, Francis uh, Cardinal George of the Catholic Church, uh, as he was approaching death, he made this statement. And what he was doing is he was talking about the trajectory of, per, of, of persecution for those who stuck to the scriptures, those who would, uh, who would die for uh, orthodox, who would die for the doctrines uh, that are so crucial for the Christian church. This is what he said about the trajectory of persecution. He said, I expect to die in bed. I expect my successor to die in a prison and I expect his successor to die as a martyr in the public square. Sobering, sobering uh, statement uh, from uh, one of the leaders in the Catholic Church. Um, but again, if you're talking two, three generations removed, uh, it may be difficult to see that now. But when you, when you put on your glasses and you look long down the road, uh, you can really see the possibility of that happening. So it's not the idea of, well, is persecution coming? We believe that persecution is coming, um, especially as we dig in, you know, even scripturally to the, uh, the prophecies of Revelation and so forth. But again, the idea isn't, is it coming, but how will we handle it when it comes? Because the reality is this, is that we can be wrongfully persecuted, but we can also wrongfully respond to that persecution. And the frustrating thing is that um, that is not a fruit-bearing response. The proper response, when you see Paul's writing here, he's wrongfully persecuted, but his response is absolutely appropriate. He has a different mature perspective. And so even when we face these lower levels of persecution, whether somebody attacks you on social media or, you know, at work, somebody contends with you about an article of the faith, it's so very important, as, as Peter reminded the church, that we be ready to give a defense for our gospel, but we need to do so with self-control, with a spirit of gentleness and humility and love, um, not from a posture of defense and protecting self-preservation, but understanding that this has nothing to do with me. It's everything about this person understanding the gospel of Christ. You know, we, we elevate the martyrs of, of the past and we honor them. You know, it's been said that uh, their blood is, is the seed, you know, that goes into the soil of the church. And um, I believe that's true. I think that so much of what we have today is in larger, you know, uh, it's due credit to those who have gone before us and martyred them. Um, but you know, the reality is that it, it's not, uh, this whole idea of martyr, martyr, martyrdom is not about lives that end well, right? I mean, anybody can muster up enough faith in a moment to die for their faith. But it's not about lives that end well. It's about lives that are lived well. 
And the vast majority, you hear these stories about these people who were, were martyred for their faith. And the, ma- the vast majority of these people, it's not just that they ended their lives faithfully and ended well, but they lived well. And may God grant us that same inner fortitude and faithfulness to serve him all the days of our lives, even as we walk through days of persecution. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for hearing today.